In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, we talk about helping very young Christians with Trisha Stoll. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Dr. Kitty Embry. Join me as we discover how to be better Christians and people in the digital age. How do you help Christians who are in that pre-teen and early teen time? I never thought I would have to think about that several years ago, but all four of my children decided to start a relationship with God through baptism before the age of 17, and my youngest two did it at the ages of 11 and 12. Yes, I was skeptical when they asked if I would let them be baptized. As an adult, I knew there was so much they didn't understand, but ultimately, I figured out something I've said in this podcast several times now. We make commitments long before we understand them. So I knew this could be a fad or just a thing to do for them, but I was going to have to trust that they understood enough to choose to follow God well before they understood all the hard parts of Christianity. Trisha Stahl is an educator and author who has recently written a book entitled, So You're a Christian, Now What? It's geared to younger Christians and the people who love them. Yes, you should read it. Trisha has done an excellent job of talking about how we can help younger Christians grow, and her advice is just spot on. So, Trisha, what's different about younger Christians? There are several differences. One is the social and emotional maturity. It takes them longer to get to something that we're explaining in class. And I've also noticed that intellectually, they grasp it. But when it comes to putting it into practice, their emotional maturity doesn't always allow them to do that. I've also noticed a lack of confidence. I'm just a kid. I'm not going to make a difference right now. Sometimes it's not the age that they have. It's just how new they are to Christianity. There are a lot of people, I don't care if they're 50, they just don't feel like they're ready to do whatever it is you want them to do. And they just go back to, yeah, but I don't know anything about any of this. Please don't call on me. I get that. I understand that. Let me take two steps back. And why don't you define for me what you're calling a younger Christian? The target audience for the book was new Christians from the ages of 9 to 15-ish, so pretty young. We have a lot of kids these days being baptized at 10, 11, that kind of thing. Shouldn't we discourage that? Shouldn't we make them wait for a long time? Shouldn't we make them think about it for a while? I don't think there's anything wrong with making them think about it, but I hesitate to be the one to judge a kid's heart if they say that they are ready and they can explain to you in intelligent terms why they need to be baptized. It's not my job to judge their heart. I know I probably wasn't fully ready when I was baptized (laughs) and there's a learning that happens there, but I don't know that we should discourage it if through conversation and through study, they're showing us that they've got their heart right and they believe they're doing what they need to be doing. If you were to ask somebody, what's the right age to get married? <laughs> well, I tell you what, th- there's not a right age. No. And, and one of the things that I think is very analogous to becoming a Christian, you make the commitment before you understand the commitment. Absolutely. And it's not like you can anticipate everything that's going to go on. 
And I don't think you should try, quite frankly, I, because I, I think you are not even smart enough to know what the right questions are. There just comes a point where you're going to make the commitment. And I guess you need to think about, do they understand, not the full extent of the commitment, but do they understand that they're agreeing to something that is pretty important? I think that the mistake that we can make as Christians is, yeah, they don't understand exactly what they're getting into. Neither did you, and neither do I. Does that make sense? It absolutely makes sense. It's one of the conversations that kind of led to the writing of this book, but when I was studying with a young girl recently, we had a conversation very similar. I talked about, you think you understand what you're getting into, but I promise you, things are going to come, and you're going to have to handle them differently now as a young Christian that you did when you were younger. But I think think as long as they understand that there is a commitment, <laughs> that they are in a good place. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes perfect sense. Some of the most important commitments you ever make are ones you do not fully understand. I think about being a parent. I knew so very little about parenting when I became one, mm -hmm. but it's not like I could have told myself what it was like. No. I, yeah. My concept of parenting was from a theory good intentions and absolutely no practical experience whatsoever. Does that make sense? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the same thing with Christianity. Will they understand it? No, of course not. If they can make a commitment, they can do it. That said, learn your kid. Learn your kid. Absolutely. What kind of questions do kids usually have? I actually came up with 13 of them because that's how the book was arranged was each lesson is a question that Perfect. I have come across as I've either been in Bible class with younger kids or in my study with a couple of kids before their baptism. A lot of them center on things like, well, what can I even do for the church? Yeah. What do I do when I mess up? How do I handle that? How should my life change? What does that change look like? One question I was asked, and it was actually a very astute question by such a young person, was how do I build a personal relationship with God? And that oh, one was interesting because yeah. it is, because it's a great question for me, and I'm 47 years old. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And then, of course, I get into some of the things that show self-esteem kind of issues, you know, I don't like standing out, but I know I need to. Most of the lessons in the book focus on trying to find biblical answers to those questions. So what do you tell them? How do they have a personal relationship with God? First, I tell them I'm still working on it. <laughs> <laughs> then you go to the scriptures and you point out various Bible characters and the relationships they had with God, Paul always comes to mind. I think that his relationship with God, it was such a powerful relationship. Joseph is one of my favorite characters in the Bible. I see a really deep personal connection with God there. I go back and look at the actions that they took and the prayers that they said, showing how that built that relationship one step at a time. I like to try to find practical applications in everything for kids because even more so than adults, they need to see why the scripture relates to them. What's the practical application to developing a relationship with God? Like any earthly relationship, if you have a relationship with that person, you're going to want to do better for them. Mm -hmm. You and I are both teachers, and 
at least in the lower ed where I am, one of the first things that they tell new teachers is build relationships with your students because that's what's going to make them want to perform for you. And if you've got that deep connection with your father, then you're going to want to do the things that he asks of us that are going to make him happy and be less likely to want to um, hurt him. But your students and my students get to see us every day in a classroom. And you're talking about someone that they cannot see. You're talking about somebody that they only learn about in a book. How do you do that? Very carefully and with lots of prayer. That's where trying to put life into scriptures and help them see what they can pull out of this story. How does that relate to my life? If you can do that, they can see God is there with them every day. And I love BJ's podcast, actually, because it's helped me to be able to see God in the everyday. I've used some of his examples in conversations with kids, and God is right here with you. Yeah. The other thing that I, the relationship between having a relationship with God and having a relationship with the people in the pew is not as great as one might think. You talked about Joseph. What could Joseph do for God? Nothing. Not a thing. There's nothing that Joseph could do for God. God didn't need anything from Joseph. But who did Joseph treat really well? His brothers. And who did he treat really well? Potiphar. Who did he treat really well? The people he was in prison with. Did that count as treating God well? Yeah. The way Joseph became close to God was by treating everybody else well. Because that's the character of God. And if you think that it doesn't make any difference in how you treat your brother or sister, your literal brother and sister that you cannot stand, then you're missing the whole point. Mm -hmm. How you treat others is a reflection of God and is a direct application about what relationship you have with them. Yes, absolutely. The way we treat others is a direct reflection of our feelings about God. And that is such a hard concept for kids to understand. Why? It's a hard concept I, I, for me to understand. <laughs> I but completely agree with that. Yeah, go ahead. It's, it's really difficult, I think, for a child of 12 in school seeing all of the not-so-nice ways that other kids are treating each other and to understand the concept of what you just said. And makes it even more important, in my opinion, for us as older Christians to try to exemplify what you just said. Because if they're seeing us treating other people badly too, on top of people at school, then it's not going to end well. So it makes it even more important for our example, I think, to show that love for others. Yeah, I think you're right. It reminds me of that, that end scene where he said, you come in Because when I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And they said, we didn't see you. They said, yeah, you didn't have to. The people that you helped around you, that was me. That was me. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense to me. Love that passage. I do, too. How do we help younger Christians grow? What's different? Honestly, I'm not sure there's a lot of difference there, whether they're young in age or just young in their Christianity. I already mentioned the leading by example. I think that's 
always one of the most powerful ways to help young Christians grow. I think we give them a space to practice with us, whether we're the parent or we're just someone close to them in the congregation. If we're going to go visit someone, ask Mm -hmm. if they want to come along. If we're about to take food, get them to help us prepare it. We even sometimes in Bible class, will take the last five or 10 minutes and we'll write cards to people. Um, I love that. I love that. Because it shows that example. And they may not at 11 years old know what to write in a card. So they're not going to do it on their own at home, even if they think about it and want to. When you give them that space to practice with you and they can say, Miss Trisha, what should I say? Help them to construct that. Give them that space. If it's a boy, letting him practice song leading at home in front of the family do the prayers at dinner time, let them practice. But also it's really important to allow space for questions, allowing them a safe space to ask questions and not feel like they're asking a stupid question. Those are three big ways we can help young Christians grow. You said be a safe place, and I love that idea. I am an educator that believes that there is such a thing as a stupid question. There are absolutely stupid questions. And when you think about some of those stupid questions, you need to be in a place where it's okay to ask stupid questions. You need to be able to gently say, you know what? That's not the best way to look at this. Let me help you come up with a better question. Because what I think you're doing is you're going after the right thing, but you're asking the wrong questions to get there. I think about my son, Jake. I don't think this was a stupid question. I think it was a very legitimate question. He got in the car. I was driving him somewhere. He said, okay, tell me, why does everybody get so upset about the Christmas question? And that was a great conversation for about half an hour. Mm -hmm. I said, look, Jake, this is where I land. You're going to have to figure this one out for yourself. You can think about it from this perspective. You can look at it from this perspective. But eventually, you're going to have to come up with what you believe about this. You actually bring up a great point because some questions are going to have yes or no type answers, but when they don't, giving the evidence on both sides and saying, now you have to figure this one out for your own, but this is, like you said, where I am, but also this is where a lot of others are and figure that out. But doing so in a way that, like you say, doesn't make them feel like it was a stupid question, even if in your mind (laughs) it actually was, making sure that you don't make them feel that way, the more they feel feel that way, the fewer questions they're going to ask. And then that does not help them grow. Do you think as young Christians, it's important that they develop Christian critical thinking skills? Absolutely. You have to develop your own faith eventually. And without those critical thinking skills, you can't because there are plenty of issues in the Bible that aren't a matter of salvation where people have disagreements. Even within the same congregation, we may not all hold the same belief about maybe social drinking or modesty. You know, there's all kinds of questions where people are going to land in different spots and you've got to be able to discern where you fall. And it yeah. can't be just because this is where mom and dad fell. Or the so, preacher fell. Yeah. Or your preacher fell. You've got to be able to make those decisions without the ability to sift through what the scripture says, you're going to be floundering. Those things eventually take a toll on your faith. It it makes me think of a conversation I have with kids in Bible class a lot of times, because when you start talking through the lesson and everything, it'll become very obvious that they only read the lesson in the book. Right. They didn't go back to the scriptural references. And sometimes they don't understand why 
that's a problem. And having to <laughs> yeah. basically explain to them what you just said, this is a simplified version that someone with very good intentions put together to help you understand. But the real message is in those scripture references that they put in there. That's the important part. This is there to help you understand those scriptures, but this is not here to replace those scriptures. We tend to take man's word because it's simplified and it's easier instead of the infallible word of God in the actual scriptures. We have to be careful about that in any books that we read by men. Yeah. And I want to defend men a little bit here (laughs) (laughs) because those books written by men, I would say probably 99% of the men that are writing these books are saying, and go back to the scripture, check me up on this. Please don't take my word for it, but here's the overall summation. And if you disagree with me, good. But tell me why. That's the point in those conversations I have with kids is that you can't just rely on that. You've got to go back to the scripture references that they are pointing you to as the decision-making piece of, of your decisions because they want to rely solely on the material in the book without going back and checking the scripture references. So yeah, that's the whole point of those conversations is they're helping you, but you need to be sure that you're double checking in the, they're putting the scriptures in there for a reason because they want you to go look this stuff up for yourself and make these decisions. So do it. (laughs) (laughs) The other thing, and realize that I'm giving the most charitable explanation of those books that I can. I know that I recognize Evil is out there. There are guys who are twisting. I still say most of them are twisting with good intention because they want you to come to this conclusion because they believe that conclusion. Jordan Peterson, one of his 12 rules of life, he says, treat everyone as if you have something to learn from them. I am so grateful for people who think differently than I do because they usually shed light on something that I have not really considered. That we come to different conclusions, fine that they're making me look at the same thing from a different lens. Thank you. I like that. And I think it's a beginning to be a lost art in today's world, but that's a whole nother caveat that (laughs) we could spend hours going down. But what's the advantage of doing that when they're young? Just like with anything, the younger you start with something, the better you're going to be at it as you get older. If you start young with teaching them how to think critically and teaching them how to question what they're reading, what they're hearing, then that's a practice that will continue on into life. But if you discourage that as a young Christian, it's a lot harder when you're 40 to understand that all of a sudden, oh, it's okay to question. It's okay to go back and change my mind. But if they've been taught that from a young age, it's much more likely to be a practice that they continue revisiting and continue being like the Bereans and and making sure that everything is adding up with what the scripture says and looking at scriptures analytically every once in a while, like we talked about earlier. But if they don't know how to do it when they're young, they're a lot less likely to pick that practice up as adults. Yeah. I taught juniors in high school 
<laughs> and God bless you in that. <laughs> again, whole other podcast. I could tell the ones who had been taught well early on to think critically and the ones who hadn't. Right. The ones who had, when we would have those discussions and do things like Socratic seminars and philosophical chairs and things, they were good at bringing up points and bringing up counterarguments to points and playing devil's advocate and things like that. But the ones who had not been taught that in the younger grades, it was obvious that's not unusual. If we teach our younger Christians the things that we've been talking about, then they are much more likely as adults to be able to confidently question themselves and question others and question beliefs they had instilled them since they were young and revisit them and make sure that they are still the way that they think about things. What's the advantage of molding young Christians? When do you know that you succeeded at it? For me as a parent, seeing my child as a young adult who is able to make her own way in the world and developing her own faith and not always doing things the way I do them or the way I would do them, but doing them with a love for God and with a love for others. I think I can safely say that I've succeeded at this point, but I'm not sure I have a much better answer than that. I've looked at your book. I think you've done a great job with it. There is no greater responsibility that you have than to raise your children. The other thing is you're going to mess it up. You're going to mess it up big time. You're going to mess it up all the time. And your job is not to be the perfect example. It, it is an intentional example. And that when you mess up, I mean, come clean fast because they'll be pretty forgiving. Does that make sense? You see what I'm saying there, Tricia? Absolutely. And I wasn't real good at that. When my kids were growing up, the tendency was to try to hide the mess ups so that they would continue to think that I was this perfect <laughs> yeah, parent. But you're right. And it's something that I have learned the older I got and discussed those missteps and let them see how you are recovering from it. If you've and you have to ask for forgiveness from God to make sure they understand and see you doing those things because those examples are things that they need to see too so that they understand how to handle when they mess up. So yeah. important. Yeah. I Oh, boy. I, I, we could talk about this for a long time. I'm so <laughs> yes, we could. <laughs> if somebody wanted to get in touch with you, how could they get in touch with you? The best way is going to be email. The one that I put in the book is trisha.stall. 75 at gmail.com. And you better spell that. Spell. I'm going to. Yes. Everybody Very spells good. my name. T-R-I-C-I-A dot S-T-A-H-L 75 at gmail.com. I had all of my podcasts with be good and do good. What's good about raising young Christians? Knowing that the future generation is still fighting in this world. When you and I are gone, there is still that force for God in the world, continuing the fight and trying to overcome the evils that this world is presenting. And if we can 
raise young Christians so that we have that confidence when we're gone and that the battle is still being fought. I think that's good. Tricia, thank you for doing this. Thank you for doing this. I'm grateful Tricia wrote this book, and I appreciate her perspective, especially on critical thinking. Yeah, I know. Critical thinking is not one of those things that gets a lot of people excited, but I'm sure you see the same thing I do. The ability to civilly disagree and sort through evidence is becoming a lost art. So I appreciate Tricia pointing us back to thinking things through and directly back to God every single time. Thank you, Tricia. So, you know, I've put the link for Trisha's book in the show notes, as well as her contact information. As for the good thing I'm thinking about, I'm grateful for herbal tea. Every so often I rediscover herbal tea. I know that sounds pretty woo-woo, but the tea-making process takes time and thought. Anything that asks me to slow down and think a little bit more is almost always a good thing. I'd also like to thank those who financially support the channel, like Don Nietzsche, Kevin Hansen, Ann Hoover, George Sanchez, Barbara McElwain, and, of course, my parents. If you would like to support the channel as well, I've got information about my Patreon membership in the show notes. This is a part of the program I'd actually like to grow. I'd like to ask you, what do you think would be good for premium members to get? maybe unedited episodes anyway i'll leave that up to you please just send me a line and i would love your feedback next time of the program i plan to release a conversation with the bible geeks brian sheely and ryan joy i love those guys and this time we're going to be talking about what it means to be good surprisingly that is their topic for this season on the Bible Geeks. Again, I'll say it. Go listen to them. They are wonderful guys and they do an excellent program. So until next time, let's be good and do good.